The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you to download and subscribe to The Low Post with Zach Lowe and The Woge Pod with the great Adrian Wojnarski, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing late on Monday night. Although it's not that late for Ramona Shelburne. Hello, Ramona, joining us from Los Angeles. What's going on, Bri? Hey, I uh, covered, I put in quotes, covered the uh, <laughs> Nets-Bucks game earlier tonight. So I didn't get to see most of the um, uh, Suns-Nuggets um, game, but... Uh, our other guest from Austin, Texas, Kirk Goldsberry, watched most, if not all of it. So, Kirk, yeah. I might be leaning on you as we talk. I watched the last nine minutes, but the game was in hand by then. Yeah, I watched both games very closely. Unfortunately for the Bucks, uh, James Harden was hurt. Otherwise, it would have been a blowout. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Ramona, uh, I think Kirk is going to be mad at me for what I'm about to discuss Uh-oh. here. Uh-oh. Uh, Kirk was very disappointed that um, Monty Williams did not win Coach of the Year. Yeah, I get um, that. Fuming. Uh, fuming. Fuming? Fuming? Mm, yeah. Wow. Okay. And, I, and, I, and so Tom Thibodeau won, and it was yeah. a very close vote. In fact, uh, um, Monty got more first place votes than Tibbs, 45 to 43. Yeah. Um, and Kirk very frustratingly, I think said on Twitter, I mean, I don't think you were like, you know, Steve, well, maybe you were feeling mad. You were very angry uh, that, <laughs> that how many people didn't vote Monty in the top two, because the number of third place votes that Monty got affected, you know, um, had the total and, and Kirk, I'm here to tell you, I voted Monty third. I did oh, too. No. I did too. Oh, no. oh, I know. I'm sitting there going, "Oh man, oh gosh." Look, I I actually changed my vote like three different times. I, I it was kind of like I got down to it, and I, I think the Knicks finished, and it was like I felt like they had less talent than the other ones. But I ended up putting Quinn Snyder second, just because at the end of it, I said, "You know what? I think we've all forgotten what a mess the Jazz were at the end of last year with." how that ended and the, you know, putting Rudy and Donovan back together again. And I don't know if he gets enough credit for that. I, I, I think I just had a late thought. Like it was a late, I switched them. Like I did have Monty second and I, and I switched it. Let me, let me read Kirk's tweet from the season. What'd he say? What'd he say? Special shout out to the 19 <laughs> voters who think Monty wasn't even in the top two coaches this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Turns not, out there was more than 19 because some true, people had him fourth. Really? Or off their ballot. I yeah, I guess yeah. if you if you, if you you were persuaded by – if you voted for, like, Doc Rivers, I could – I guess I could – there was a couple first-place votes for Doc, right? Um, Doc got two firsts. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, Steve Nash uh, yeah, got by one the way. second. In, uh, by the way, Steve Nash is having a great series against the Bucks, but, you know, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I just wanted, you know, I wanted to get it out in the open, Kirk. I didn't want there to be this, yeah. um, this, you know, this yeah. and, and, and honestly, like I, I could have, I, I really, Billy did change my vote like several different times on that. And I, I don't really know why, like I switched it. It was a late, it was literally a late ad. It was a late switch that I now feel very bad about because you are upset. 
<laughs> well, I'm yeah. not going to demand a recount. Yeah. And like the people of Arizona, they've had enough of this recount discussion mm-hmm. so far this year. But I'm going to say that, you know, the coaches association has given Monty, you know, and I, I also yeah. have to say, despite the fact the coaches association gave Monty a much deserved reward, I'm very biased here, as Brian knows. I work sure. very closely with Monty Williams uh, at the Spurs organization. Um, this year, there were multiple very good candidates. I'm certainly not mer- mad at, at, at Tibbs getting it. Uh, I, I'm just surprised, you know, if there was such a thing as ball don't lie for a coaches of the year award. Uh, mm-hmm. Here we are. We're watching Monty, you know, destroy uh, the Denver Nuggets in the second half of game one of the second round. So, you know, I took some uh, solace in the fact, Brian, uh, that Monty was still out here coaching. Well, I would argue people that and, the Knicks, uh, won their game. I would argue that what happened to the Knicks in the playoffs only bolsters Tibbs case because his team's talent level, like when you watch this team yeah. talent level against the Hawks, it's, it's, it's not close. And I know that the Knicks um, underperformed um, and that is on Tibbs as you know, he Tibbs accepts some of this responsibility for that, but the Knicks are not in the same class as the Hawks in terms of talent level, in my view, yeah, uh, and certainly not in the same class as the other teams. And, and he had him to the fourth seed. Um, and look, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to, um, you know, campaign against anybody. I just thought, you know, what Tibbs got out of that roster was compelling. Was compelling to me. So, um, you know, when he comes down to you're choosing between second and third, um, you know, you're, you're really talking about a lot of uh, nuance there. Um, I also think I also think Monty got hurt in a way by Chris Paul being such a, a well-respected leader, right? So you kind of like in some ways it almost took some of the credit away from Monty when it shouldn't have. But like, I, it just like when you're getting into these splitting hairs things at the end, you know, I, I had, when I really looked at Quinn versus, and by the way, Quinn Snyder deserves a lot of credit. I mean, that was the best record in the league, Phoenix second best. Record. And any of these three winning would have been fine choices, would have been great choices. Like I think all three of them had good cases, but I, I at the end I kind of thought, well, which, which coach, was worth more wins, right? Like had had less to work with and created more out of from less. I don't know. I was persuaded by that this year. In other years, it goes a different way. Sometimes you vote for the best coach of the best team or the coach on the best team, right? Mate, it's a little Suns different. Have the every best year. record in the NBA since January twenty eighth, uh, and you know, two years ago the Suns were nineteen and sixty three. Mm-hmm. Hadn't been in the playoffs in a decade uh, and finished number two in Ramona's Western Conference, which we know is a huge accomplishment for any team, uh, let alone a team that hasn't been playing well for a decade. Uh, Yeah, you guys know where I stand. I'm not mad. Tibbs did a heck of a job. Uh, I'm happy the Knicks are relevant again. And, um, you know, it's a tough tough award. Uh, I'm biased. I wanted Monty to win. I think he's got a good case. But, you know, what? let's talk about the playoffs. Right. So, okay. So let's start with Nets Bucks. Um, You know, after game one, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit I actually thought the Bucks weren't in the worst position possible. Um, obviously, they were right. they were down, but um, in that game they scored 72 points in the paint. Uh, just yep. really exposed the the Nets' soft interior. Um, uh, they shot six of 30 on threes in that game, and I thought, well, look, they're still gonna score in the paint, and they're gonna shoot better from three. Uh, Durant had to play. Um, not Durant, uh, Kyrie had to play 45 minutes. 
Um, Durant was in some foul trouble, and I thought, you know, if he's going to have to continue to play so much on the inside, he may continue to face some foul trouble. And I know I wasn't sitting there saying, well, the Bucks are going to win the series at five or anything, but I thought, you know, the Bucks, you know, they're in good shape considering that Harden is now, you know, out, you know, indefinitely. And, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know if I expect it to be one-to-one, but I certainly was like, you know, that's where I thought it was headed. And not only did the, the Nets completely blow the Bucks off the court tonight, but uh, Kirk, uh, Steve Nash, a guy who Ooh. a year ago when he got this job, not only was it a shocking hire, you know, coming out of the blue, but it was controversial, as you remember. And look, we are, he is six wins into needing 16. I'm not handing him any trophy just yet, but he has absolutely coached the pants off of Mike Budenholzer in this series. His team was ready to play, has had a terrific game plan, has followed the details. He has um, kept his team's, um, you know, concentration and motivation in. Uh, the Bucks, meanwhile, uh, their pick and roll defense tonight um, was they started out playing zone or at least played a lot of zone in the first half. Um, they were not ready to play instead of attacking the paint as much or more. They attacked the paint vastly less, you know, not following the game plan. Steve Nash, and you know, Kevin Durant had 32 Kyrie had 22. Uh, their bench has played well. I'm not saying it's all on that. Steve Nash is kicking Mike Budenholzer's behind in this series. And if it continues, I'm not sure Bud's going to be the coach in a couple of weeks. Yeah, if it continues, I mean, it's been a blowout uh, both games. And and like you said at the top, Brian, I think I expected Milwaukee to come out punching in this second game, uh, come out angry, come out with some adjustments, and I didn't see any of that. They They looked worse in game two somehow, and that was very, very disappointing uh, for those of us who expected the Bucks to put up a fight here. They still have a chance. They've just lost two games in Brooklyn. But the stat that jumps off the page to me is the points off of jumpers in this series. Brooklyn has 147 points off of jump shots. Many of those have been wide open. Uh, and Milwaukee has 64. Mm. They, they've more than doubled them up on jumpers. Now, they have Kyrie. They have Joe Harris. And they have Kevin Durant, pretty good jump shooter. Um, but Milwaukee is supposed to have good jump shooters too. And, and the guy I've been very disappointed in is Chris Middleton, who once again looks like he's not going to rise up to the challenge in a big playoff series. Uh, and, and then the other big point to your, to your Nash point is Blake Griffin looks like the best Giannis defender I've seen since Kawhi Leonard uh, yep. in 2019. And that's, that's the biggest upset of the playoffs so far as Blake Griffin is playing incredible defense uh, and just playing harder than anybody else on the court. Uh, it's been striking to watch. I know Ramona spent a lot of time watching Blake in, in L.A., uh, but this series is coming down to defense like we thought it yep. would. But it's Brooklyn who's outplaying Milwaukee on defense and offense, which is so shocking. To me. A word about Blake Griffin and Giannis. It's a great, it was a great point you had, Kirk, because – when he was in Detroit, and and I don't think there's a lot that we remember about that time in Detroit, but they did make the playoffs one year. Remember when he had his knee injury and he, he kind of played on one knee and he was sort of dragging it around and he that you know they got we swept. can look back they got swept okay but 
one of the reasons why he tried to play through that is because he was actually a really good defender on Giannis throughout that year. Like they, that was a decent matchup for them. Um, they, they didn't mind that matchup against them. And, and I think with Blake's kind of always had that in him. And, and what's interesting to watch with Brooklyn, like we all, I, I, Brian, how many shows have you done where the question, the discussion topic is, can you win an NBA title with, without a great defense? Can the Brooklyn Nets play any defense and win a title? And, like, I think we all thought this was going to be like 140 to 130 every day, you know, every game. Like, they're playing really good defense. Like, they they look like they're switching everything. They're kind of, mm-hmm. they've kind of got that Houston defense that D'Antoni ran really well when, you know, PJ Tucker was the anchor of that defense in Houston. And like, Kevin Durant, I remember covering those Western Conference series between Houston and the Warriors. Those were incredible series. And, and Kevin Durant, when he would play for the Warriors, he had kind of had to play in this, almost like a rim protector role for the Warriors in those series. He was really good in that role. And, I, and I'm kind of like, wow, I feel like I'm watching a rerun of that, of that defense in that series. Well, the Bucks are um, allowing an average of 120 points in the two games. Yeah. They gave up 115 and 125. That's a lot, but you know, I, they should be able to handle that. Like, like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, so after the game, some of the media was asking uh, Bud about his pick and roll defense and stuff like that. And no, it's not perfect. And he's in Bud is, is um, has stopped short of going to full switch. He is trying to survive without putting Brooke Lopez in that situation. And he doesn't like to switch anyway, although they did in the regular season to prepare for this stuff. Um, but defensively, you know, again, they need to be better, but they're not being crushed offensively. They can't score. But that's uh, why you got to give a lot of credit to the Nets defense. Like yeah. some of that is – okay, so, you know, our guys at ESPN, our stats and info guys, they had a they had a really incredible stat about the, about the Bucks ball movement tonight. Like it's just not moving. Here, here was a good one. According to Second Spectrum, the Nets have attempted 607 passes compared to 430 from the Bucks. Wow. I love when we get in the playoffs. I know. That's an info group. (laughs) Take it going. We have a, um, we have a, a, a a Slack channel with our stats and info group. And just during these playoff games, they're going crazy during the finals when they have like the full crew on one game. It's great. I've argued that we should charge. We should be like an ESPN plus plus subscription. Seriously. Like I say, I Um, go, man, I sound so smart right now. These guys are like, I'll be on the radio broadcast. Oh man. I mean, look, here was another good one. They had the Nets had 32 possessions where they passed the ball at least five times. The bucks, just three in game two, Brooklyn had 17 of these possessions. Milwaukee had one. Oh man. Yeah, I mean, I, you can see it, um, and you know, okay. So in the, when the regular season, this is what I when, I when I credit Steve Nash for his game plan. Here's what I'm talking about. So in the regular season, the teams played three times. In those three games, uh, Milwaukee took a combined 37 more shots. Wow. Than the Nets did, and um, you know that is not a survivable number typically. Um, in a uh, in a playoff series, if you are if you are getting outshot by ten plus a game like that, you, you know you're in a real disadvantage unless you're doing something special. So you say, well, why did they have so many more shots? Well, uh, Milwaukee committed 19 fewer turnovers in those games, and they had 10 more offensive rebounds. So when they came into the series, Steve Nash said to these guys, 
The shot total number is going to be a huge number. What I want you guys to realize when you take care of the ball is we've got to get those shot totals even or close to even for us to have a good chance to win. And so the Nets have come out in the series and been much more judicious with the basketball. Um, you know, despite the passing, they have been taking care of it. And, you know, the thing about it is, you know, they lose Harden. They don't hang their heads. Um, and, you know, part of that is because they went out during the season and had a lot of injuries. They played a lot of games without their stars. But, you know, so in these two games, the Nets have actually taken seven more shots in the two games. So they've totally flipped that. And um, I had the stat in front of me because I wrote it in my story tonight, but um, I don't have it in front of me now. But I, but um, it, the Bucks have uh, committed more turnovers. So they've totally flipped those around. Um, Milwaukee still has um, more offensive rebounds, but tonight in this game too, Brooklyn had more second chance points. So they have they have flipped those advantages. Well, look, you know, Kirk, you 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 pointed something out, and our our wonderful stats crew had a, had an excellent point here. Alexander Santiago, I like to name check these fantastic researchers we have um, with with Blake Griffin as his defender. Okay, Giannis was three for eight in game two. But his average field goal distance with Blake as his defender, this is – how do you even know to look for this? It's amazing. Um, he's basically pushing him, off, he's pushing him away from the basket. It's 12.8 with Blake as his defender and 8.4 feet away from the basket with everybody else. In other words, he's pushing him four feet away. Well, what's happening there is Blake is totally yeah. sacrificing his body trying to take charges, for be honest. Yeah. Which is not an unheard of defensive strategy because uh, Giannis Barrel's in there. Um, Giannis's free throws have left him. He's two of ten, I believe, oh. in the in the series so far. And it's human nature, Kirk. You um, you don't uh, you you know you don't want to, You know you're not shooting well from the line. You don't want to go in there, and mm. that's part of what's happening. And you know that part of of the Nets game plan isn't revolutionary, but it's working. Yeah, it's deja vu. It, it, back to 2019 when, you know, Kawhi locked him up and, and he also had big free throw troubles in that series. He airballed a, a big free throw in a close game against the Raptors. Uh, he's 2-7 from the line tonight. But, yeah, this guy isn't thriving if he isn't dunking, if he isn't getting in with those long arms mm. and laying it in. And, yeah, the one of the enduring images, as Ramona talks about for me of the series so far, is – Blake sort of sagging back, Giannis looking for the angle, and he just can't get past Blake Griffin to get to the rim, uh, to get to a layup or even a short little runner or something. Uh, he's just not able to penetrate past Blake Griffin's defense, and that that is a big problem for this Bucks team. Uh, the other big problem is is the shot number that you're you're alluding to. Uh, they shot ten fewer times, Brian, in this game than the Brooklyn Nets. When this series started, I was sure that the the, the Bucks were going to out rebound the, the the Brooklyn Nets. I was sure the Milwaukee's defense would be better than Brooklyn's defense. Those were both wrong, hand up so far. Uh, but I'm not alone here. Uh, I thought this would go a lot of different ways than it has. Um, that said, if there's one team that's seen a series turn after two games and go the complete opposite direction. <laughs> It's Milwaukee when they were on the yeah. wrong end of that in 2019 when they made adjustments. And now it's time for Coach Budenholzer to show up and turn this thing around 
find ways to get Giannis going, get him in the paint, get him active, get Chris Middleton going somehow in Milwaukee, win a couple games there at home, and all of a sudden the narrative is very different. But to your other point, the biggest game of Coach's Bud's time in Milwaukee is coming up on game three. So um, you would say that the you know, we've never had a 3-0 comeback in, um, in the NBA. And the 3-1 comeback has been incredible for the last five years. Obviously, we had a couple last year, Cavs-Warriors 2016. The 3-1 comeback is sort of known as the grand comeback in the NBA. Um, but I got to tell you, the chances of coming back from 2-0 are not that much different than coming back from 3-1. Well, I covered a two and a fourth. I just covered that one. It was like, it, it's almost like it really felt like more because the Clippers lost the first two at home. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's true. And then they were down 30 to 11 in the in the next game in Dallas. So I, I, I called it two and a fourth, but it really, you know, maybe it was even worse <laughs> than that because it was right. on the road. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been yes. done. It's been done. And and I think Milwaukee doesn't, I don't know. There's a, there's a part of me, I just, I was watching that tonight going, you know, sometimes when you get, you know, I used to call it in softball, we call it when you get boat raced, you know, it's like they lapped you. Right? It's, like, it's not closed. You're not going to get back in this one. Sometimes when you get boat raced like that, you just, just let it go. Right. Just, yeah. just let this one go, get back to your home court and, and get your fans cheering, get people going. They just need to win a half. And then you win a, you know, you just need to win a quarter. Then you win a half and you just get some kind of momentum going because I don't feel like they've had it at all. Yeah. So um, teams that have fallen down 2-0 in seven game series in NBA history are um, 22 and 300. Oh, so, I mean, obviously we just saw one, so mm-hmm. it can happen. Yeah. Um, the teams that get down 3-1 are 15 and 250. So. Um, it's more rare for three one, but not by a lot. And so what I'm telling you is the Bucks have their their uh, their work cut out for them. Now, look, I, I don't know when Harden's coming back if he's coming back at all. So, um, you know that is a huge factor. And you know Milwaukee is a very potent team, but you know one of the things I went on a rant, guys, um, a few weeks ago about how, and there was just a there was a little bit of it tonight, but. Um, uh, when a team loses a playoff game, especially early in the series, he, the team that loses always says, well, they came out more aggressive. The more aggressive thing is a – it drives me crazy. It's true a often, but it's a – it's something that players say when they don't know what else to say. So when a team falls down 2-0-2 when they're the lower seed, they say – to you know, to a man, what do they say every single press conference? They <laughs> oh, just did what they just they did what they were supposed to do. Supposed to, you know, yeah, they want to trans- home, <laughs> which is a transference of pressure. But the reality is, when you go down 2-0, you're going to lose the series about 95 percent of the time, uh, and the sample size is pretty pretty big. So that's what the Bucks are facing. There are circumstances that change the dynamics of every series, and the Harden injury is one of them. And the Bucks can obviously play a lot better than score 86 points. But I, you know, we all thought the challenge in this series was going to be can the Nets outscore? And not only are they outscoring, they're um, they're outscoring with uh, with ease. With so, we'll um, when I say outscoring, I mean just you know. We should also, by the way, Brad, talk about that Kevin Durant looks 
Yes. Amazing. <laughs> God. But that's not a surprise to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I the guy is just an absolutely brilliant player. Um, I have, I don't have one bad thing to say about Kevin Durant. I have nothing but praise, with the exception of he he has thin skin and he lets it get to him to him, him too much. Um, and you know, we all have our faults. That's his. You know, in the in the press conference the other night uh, after game one, he. He took a he took a snide little shot at a reporter he doesn't like, and you know after this game he got asked uh, you know a question by Jaron Greenberg from TNT about um, whether he thought he could recover this quickly from his Achilles injury, and you know he didn't like the question, and you know like that's it. Other than that, the guy is <laughs> impervious. He's just such a brilliant player. One of the you know, one of these guys that I have had a privilege to watch in my career covering this because I honestly do believe he's the best scorer I've ever seen. I think he's a better scorer than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, I, I guess I saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but Kareem has that record because of longevity. I, I don't think I've ever seen a guy who can score like him. And so when the guy has a game like this, 32 points on 18 shots, I don't even react. I think that Kevin Durant is a big factor in this series. I think that's obvious, but it's also hard not to watch this series to Ramona's point and not think back to where we were two years ago watching the finals in 2019 when he got hurt uh, and and to see that he's come back from one of these one of the worst injuries you can get in the sport of basketball and to see him playing at this this level is very impressive and kind of inspiring. Uh, and that's, that, that's, an, that's a big thing about what's going on here with, with this series, in my opinion. And yeah, I'm you know surprised. what? <laughs> yeah, you know what? The, you know I what's know. fun watching him too? Like they don't like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, like they chose this, right? I mean, we, we can all get into, you know, whether they should have gotten to the Knicks or wherever else. They, they, they wanted to play together and they wanted to play together in Brooklyn. Like that's, it's just, it just comes down to that. And they, they look happy out there. They just look like they're enjoying playing together. They're all committed. They're, you know, when you when you see a team that's playing together for each other, they're sort of not, you know, they're 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 cheering each other. They, don't they look like they're having fun playing basketball together? Like whatever whatever heat they get from the outside or whatever, I've, you know, you would talk about, you know, whatever said on Twitter or you know, Kyrie faces a lot of tough questions all the time. Kevin, same thing. They look like they're having fun together out there. I've that, said this. I've said this before, and I will say it again. Yeah, the most impressive thing that. Kyrie has done in his career was hit that three-pointer over Steph Curry to clinch a title. The second most impressive thing he's done is sell Kevin Durant to play with him Mm. in Brooklyn, not in New York, not in LA, in Brooklyn, which frankly is, you know, yes, they were set up very nicely. It's not in a vacuum, but still, you know, in Brooklyn, and he did it in February. All of that free agency was happening. Durant had all of these different options and all of these different players he could have teamed up with. Namely, he could have teamed up with Kawhi in L.A. Um, and Kyrie sealed the deal by All-Star Weekend in Charlotte, yep. and then they went down to Miami. He got him to accept his rose, to use a bachelor terminology, <laughs> Um and and close the deal before anybody else could get in. That accomplishment and what you know, because the thing about Kyrie is even though he can be a difficult teammate to play with, and even though he does stuff at times where you just want to bang your head into the wall, 
guys guys really like him. He really is he's really able to build relationships with with guys and he he closed that deal. And so now the Nets are, are making their run. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Ranger.com or just stop by. All right, so tonight the the Suns. I, I mentioned I didn't get to watch much of this game. Um, obviously, they had. I will say, the crowd there looked uh, yeah. spectacular. Yeah. And um, oftentimes, I have noticed in my career, and I may have mentioned this on this pod before. I always have to apologize. I'd hate to repeat myself, but when teams get into playoffs for the first time in a long time. The crowd doesn't know how to modulate and moderate. It doesn't. It doesn't know how to hold back. You know, if you're in the playoffs for the fifth straight year or whatever, the crowd doesn't sound the same. Uh, I'm just telling you, I've seen it. And so the Phoenix crowd is is spilling out not only the pandemic uh, excitement to be in the building, but ten years of not being at at a at a playoff game in a super meaningful situation. So the crowd was big, um, but a big factor in this game. Um, you know, two things. One, I think the most important player in the series, in my view, is DeAndre Ayton. Uh, if DeAndre Ayton, who was spectacular um, last round, if DeAndre Ayton is able to hold his own, I don't think he's going to outplay, but hold his own against Jokic, it's huge for the Suns. And in tonight's game, he almost equaled them in stats. That's not going to continue. But the thing that happens with Aiton is when he plays well, it's great, but he has a tendency to completely turn into wallpaper. And, you know, you don't want him to turn into wallpaper. Um, so, Ramona, the other thing that I think is uh, is big is um, uh, Michael Porter Jr. was knocked out of this game with a back issue. And if if Michael Porter Jr. is limited with his back, um, my, my, Michael Malone mentioned this after the game. If Michael Porter Jr. is limited with his back, I just don't know if Denver's going to have the firepower in this series. This is a, almost it's a very important to see how he comes back Wednesday. Well, and I, I did I hated seeing this and hearing this because we all know you know he uh, obviously the back injury was what kept him what caused him to fall in the draft and that, you know, that was how he started his career. Right. So it's, it's uh, I hope it's not related to that or in any, any way as serious. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's why he got drafted 14th or 13th, yeah. whatever it was. Um, and um, well, Michael you know, Malone, he was saying, you know, he, he essentially said he tweaked it and he's, but they think he'll be okay for game two. But I, 
look, you're talking yeah. to somebody who just had back surgery. So I, you know, there's a part of me that says, <laughs> you know, there's no such thing. And when you tweak your back, it's, it's just something you're going to be worried about. And especially for a young guy like this, it's, it, I, I got, I cringe just seeing that. By the way, I, I saw Ramona for the, for the first time in 14 yeah. months this week, and you looked, you looked, you were moving and looking great. So I was happy to see Thank that you. your back was, uh, Thank you. Yeah. Doing good. Um, yeah, Kirk, I mean, I was just talking about DeAndre Ayton. Um, you know, he had 20 and 10 tonight. Um, you know, he, he's a vital piece for the, I mean, obviously he's not going to lead them in scoring and they need Booker and Chris Paul to play well. And Chris Paul was great in the fourth quarter of this game, but as Ayton goes, I almost, I, I'm not quite ready to say as Ayton goes, the Suns goes, Suns go, but I'm kind of close to feeling that way. Yeah, I'll get I'll get you some good eight and stuff here in a second, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do what, what Ramona did according to one of our researchers, Doug Clawson. This is Chris Paul's ninth career playoff game with 20 points, 10 assists, and one or fewer turnover. How great Ooh. is that? That is now the most all time uh, by any player. Chris has nine such playoff games, passing his friend LeBron James. Just a testament to how good he was tonight. Yep. Uh, but on the eight and point, I think that is actually more important right now than Chris Paul. Kind of like Kevin Durant. We know he's going to yep. be great. Um, DeAndre Ayton, one of the one of the sort of themes of this playoffs, guys, isn't it just like all these cool new faces that are playing yeah. big? Uh, DeAndre Ayton's one of these guys, and what he's letting he's letting uh, Monty Williams, my coach of the year, do is single cover Nikola <laughs> Jokic. At least to this point, Jokic, he's the MVP uh, by over almost everybody. Uh, but he had a bad game by his incredible standards tonight, uh, and, and much of that had to do with Aiton uh, in that single coverage. He only had 22 points, only had three assists, uh, which is a, a startling yeah. number. Uh, and I think it tells you a lot of Jokic's assists come when teams throw two guys at him, uh, and he makes the right play. Mm. Uh, we saw that in the Portland series. Uh, but, you know, Portland doesn't have a DeAndre Aiton, so now Denver has to play. And so – Jokic has to go at his single defender. He did it a few times well tonight, but he ended up 10 for 23 from the field. Uh, and to, to bring it back to Michael Porter Jr. for, for another, another fresh face who's just killing it in these playoffs, he needs to step up if Jokic is going to struggle a little bit. Yeah. And that's why that injury might even be more important than it would be otherwise. So, he's vital. He, he's, he's vital for them. I mean, but, Brian, uh, Brian let, me just, let me just agree with you. I think at least as it goes with defense in this matchup against the MVP, yeah, Aiton might be the most important single player on the Phoenix Suns in this series. Well, here's 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 another little stat from our from our friends, Alexander Santiago again. She uh, she has with with DeAndre Aiden as the primary defender on Jokic. First half, Jokic had nine points, hit four of his eight shots. Second half, just five points, two of nine with Aiden as two primary of defender. nine, two of nine. And it's one of six and contested fans, field goals on those in the Suns second fans, half. Suns fans will tell you he can play like this. And then yeah. the next game, he may literally, you may forget he's out there. But the thing is, because I just watched him in that, you know, very closely in that Lakers series where they beat them. It was Aiden is a guy that that's where we come back to Chris Paul. Chris Paul knows how to get him involved. Like he's one of those big guys. You just got to feed him he early. He yells at him, get him every going. huddle. Yes, remote. every huddle. Every, like it's just in he October, like, yes. in January, and now in June. He yells at him in every huddle. <laughs> and like and probably on the bus yeah. and on the flight and in the locker room, he's probably yelling at him too. He hears him in his dreams. I mean, that's, you know, the Chris Paul experience. Um, and, I, and I think that when we, that Lakers series, like Aiden, there was a moment there where it looked like 
Anthony Davis was going to just take over the series, right? Right before he got hurt, game three, it looked like AD kind of had sized up Aiden and felt like, all right, I can score against this guy. Like, I know he's a good defender He and, and he's he's big and he's, you know, what this is. But, but Anthony Davis was starting to get his way. And, of course, he gets hurt there. And I, and I thought the series kind of changed there because it felt like Anthony Davis was going to win the series for the Lakers, right? Like LeBron was good, but it was going to be an AD series. Um, it, this this has that same kind of making. Like does does Jokic figure out Aiden? Because he said before a couple of days ago, I heard him say he goes, "He's one of the guys who defends me the best." Yeah, we we have a it's a tough matchup for me. So they know each other really well. They've had a lot of head to head battles over the years. But can Jokic do what Anthony Davis did? It, which is essentially figure out how to score against against Aiton in those matchups, and then obviously with the in the Lakers series, AD just got hurt in Game Four, and that kind of changed everything. But but I think that that uh, does it does come down to this because Devin Booker, Chris Paul, they've just they really got it going. I mean, when that home crowd got going in that third quarter and they went on their run, it was just off to the races. Guy Fieri was out there having a good yeah. time. It was great. <laughs> or Flavor Town. It was off the chain, baby. All right, I think that series is going to be tight. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, I want to go yep. to a story that you wrote um, that published Monday, um, uh, Ramona, uh, about the Clippers and Kawhi uh, winning Game 7. Um, I can't attest to watching every single interview that Kawhi has done as a Clipper. Oh, but easily the best. Easily. Okay. I'm going to read some of what he said and that you quoted him in your story. Um I don't know how other players think, but just for me, it's about the situation that's in front of you. Just because you played great in whatever nine game sevens doesn't mean you'll play great in game 10 and vice versa. It's all about the moment. Sometimes when you're overconfident, you play bad. And sometimes when you're down on yourself, you play good. For me, it's about focusing on that moment, having fun and playing hard. That's it. That's the game of basketball. I'm not thinking about last year. I'm thinking about what we're doing today, and the next step is tomorrow. I'm glad we showed character and we showed poise going down 0-2 on the road, and that game three, that meant a lot to me this season. Obviously, it got us to this next round, but it's all about this year. 
Ramona, we don't see Kawhi talk no. like that. Um, yeah. I want to say this. Um, Clippers have given me a lot of agita this last two years because I really thought they had done brilliantly and put that team together brilliantly. And, you know, I don't like to make predictions, but I was pretty out there on they were the team that I thought was going to win the title last year. And I was just horrified the way they played. And I was so disappointed in the way they played, the way they tanked the end of the season and the way they started this series. But I have people talk to me, even within the last week, who say, you know, that they shouldn't have made that trade for for Paul George, that they should have called Kawhi Leonard's bluff, and and they should have said, hey, we can get Paul George in three months for half the price and try Shea Gilgis-Alexander. A lot of, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking. But the reason you, you trade five first-round picks, because I know they got Paul George in that trade, but it was a trade for Kawhi Leonard. The reason you 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 rip your team apart, the reason you trade and mortgage your whole future, the reason you let the guy take his helicopter ride in from San Diego and sometimes your plane mm-hmm. is late, the reason you, you give the guy off whatever games he want off is because when you can do what he did and deliver at that level, your value to the team is immeasurable. And that is the Kawhi Leonard that the Clippers schemed about getting their hands on for years. That is the Kawhi Leonard that Paul George said, I want to play with. That is the Kawhi Leonard they built their marketing campaign around. I don't know if that Kawhi Leonard can continue to keep playing, but if he does, Ramona, it's going to go that direction. I really do believe it. I do believe Uh, that with the guys who left in the playoffs, he can play at a level that nobody can touch. So, Brian, you know, I'll give you a little of the backstory to where that first quote that you read came from, okay? The game six in Dallas when Kawhi goes for 45, right? 45, you know, it was a monster game and at both ends, by the way. He was really good defensively. One of the best games of his career and the guys are two-time finals MVP. Yeah, I mean, they they finally, at the end, had to just say, you know what, we got to put Kawhi on Luka. Luka's killing us. Kawhi's our best defender. We don't want him to get tired, but, you know, we're facing elimination. Like, what? we we can't wait any longer. So they had Kawhi chase Luka, and he still went for 45. Like, that's unbelievable, okay? And I remember Rachel, Rachel Nichols was there. She was doing the sidelines for that game, and she popped into the Zoom because Rachel's always working for the next game, right? Because she's got, you know, she's got to do the sidelines, and it was a quick turnaround from game six to seven. So she's, you know, I I love how hard she works at that stuff, okay? So she goes – Hey, Kawhi, you know, how do you prepare for game sevens? You've obviously been in a lot of them over, over the course of your career. You t- is, there, is there a game seven that you had before, you know, that you draw on for experience? And he goes, I don't really think about any of the things I did before. Nope. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, That's it was a Kawhi like, answer. But it was a Kawhi answer. in this one. Right. So, I, so I, I filed it away. I thought it was a Kawhi answer. I didn't think he was blowing her up. I really thought that Kawhi is very literal. Like when you listen to his answers and questions, like he actually just very, he, he answers your exact question. So if you, if your premise, if he just says, nope, that's actually not what I do. <laughs> like he'll, he'll just tell you. And so I, I filed it away. And I remember at the, this game seven, I said, Hey, you know, last game, Rachel asked you about this. And you said, you never really think back on what you do in the past. And, and I go, is that, is that right? Is that, you never, you don't draw confidence from that. And he, and that's, that's where he gave the, that answer, right? And I thought it was, Brian, every other athlete I've ever met says, I know how to have confidence in these big moments because I've done it before. 
like Kobe, Kobe would always say, I know I can take that, that shot in the corner because I've hit that shot before. Like I practiced that shot. I've done it a million times. It's like a muscle memory that you have from hitting those shots, not only in practice, but in other big games. I mean, the, the shot that he missed in game five, okay? Remember the air ball at the end? The three at the end of game five where he mm-hmm. could have tied the game? Basically the same shot he hit against the – he hit in Toronto against the Sixers. Yeah, that's Substitute. Right. He, he, he didn't yeah. have the momentum. Right. It wasn't as, you know, wasn't as yeah. ideal of a and, and he frankly, sort of reverse pivot. But, yes, you're right. Maybe he needed Joel Embiid's arms stretched <laughs> up to get the lift on it. I don't know. But it was basically the same shot. And I'm like, oh, okay, so he airballs this time. Like maybe he quite doesn't have it anymore, right? I mean, it was a very similar shot. And he he came he comes back from that game five and goes for 45 in game six, Brian. And then it turns in an absolute, it was like, well, I think he had 28, 10, and nine. But he also defended Luca really well and used up a ton of energy doing that. But I, you know, I mean, it's hard to say he played good defense, a guy who had 46 points, but like that's how good Luca is. Um, like he actually did pretty good on Luca. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I just watched that Kawhi and I, everything you said is right. He, when he is that guy, that two way guy who could just go into that dominator mode on both ends of the court, just, okay, man, do whatever you need. <laughs> right. Like that, you'll, you'll, you'll deal with anything. And you know, we you could take an hour and a half after the game to get treatment. You can not do media, whatever. Well, Kirk, right. I mean, he was yeah. with you in San Antonio. I mean, yep. I mean, you, you know, you know more. Yeah, and I think his first two or three years in the NBA sort of inform why he feels that way about the the past experience. Like his first year, if there was ever a team that was super confident or should have been overconfident uh, in the 2012 playoffs, the year that, that LeBron won, I think their first championship over the Thunder. They'd won, remember, they won 20 games in a row, the Spurs, including playoff games all the way through the conference finals, game two, when they'd blown the Thunder off the court and then they lose four games in a row and get eliminated. That was Kawhi's rookie year. The Thunder go on and lose to the Heat. The next year, Kawhi's playoff experience in year two is the Ray Allen series. Mm, uh, which he choked at the foul line. I don't know. He obviously remembers it, but and the Spurs fans remember it. It's not remembered in history. And but, then they had a game seven. Everybody forgets they had a game seven. It was right. close. And that's his first real big game seven experience on a huge stage. Didn't go the way. And then he has that redemption story uh, coming in 2013, 14 and winning finals MVP against the same Miami team. So I think that informs why he's like, yeah, your past doesn't define you, whether it's good or bad. Uh, you know, he he saw that firsthand with the Spurs losing these heartbreaking uh, series and then overcoming that. But yeah, man, I can't overstate. I wrote the preview for ESPN.com on uh, for that game seven. Yeah. And I did a little research into Kawhi's past and you're, you struck it. Oh yeah. He's, he's done this before, whether it's the 2014 finals locking up LeBron or 2019, where his job is Giannis Antetokounmpo after Nick nurse made that adjustment. Um, but he offensively was the best I've ever seen him in round one. He was combining scoring volume and scoring efficiency literally better than anybody since Shaq in 2000 in the finals. I think he was the first player to score 200 points and shoot 60% from the field since Shaq did that God. in the 2000 finals. And we know what Shaq was doing. He was dunking it every trip down the floor. That was um, prime Shaq, 2000 yes. finals. And, and Kawhi's out there doing it with 17-footers, three-point shots, Um uh, turning fadeaways and and it's remarkable so like Ramona's saying 
he's not like Luca. He's burning calories on both ends of the yep. court in very high level, uh, and 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 guarding the best players on the best teams. And I feel like this is meant, setting up for them to make a run to the finals and with Durant because it's him and Durant right now, clearly the best two players remaining in the playoffs, in my opinion. Uh, but that said. This whole narrative about the Clippers is is turned on its head, Brian, in the last week or two, and it, we could be right back there in two weeks if they don't play well in this Utah series. I mean, they could all look, those look, same stories are, are coming right back. Utah has had a bunch of rest; they've had a bunch of chance to prepare. I mean, a factor here is Conley, the hamstring there. I don't know where he's going to be, but I gotta believe that the Clippers are going to be exhausted coming into this into these two games in Utah and. I mean, I know that they just they just overcame a 2-0 deficit, so you're not going to tell them you can't. But I would advise not getting down 2-0. So, I mean, to me, if they can scratch out a 1-1 situation, that would be big. Um, well, Brian, it's I haven't quite done the math on it, but they played Friday night in Dallas in a really tough elimination game, right? Then they play Sunday afternoon, so that was a pretty quick turnaround. So it was a late night East Coast time. Well, Central time. They didn't fly back. Uh, they didn't fly back that night. They flew back on. Uh, yeah, in the morning. And then Saturday, I, Saturday. And I think the they morning. had a big. I think the team had like a COVID test that night. You know, like you fly uh, back, you can't just like hang out. You got you got to uh, do the COVID test at t- 10 p.m. or something that night, right? And then you have the t- you have the morning game, so you have to be at the arena at 10. It was a it was a pretty quick turnaround. Then they have to go fly to Utah and play at altitude now. At Tuesday night, I mean that's. That's a pretty brutal stretch. I, I just the and, and by the way, they could win by twenty. I, I yeah, I know. I, I I might I might this this looks like a scheduled loss to me. This feels like a Utah yeah. Jazz scheduled loss. That's what my instincts yeah. tell me that that the Jazz take game one and the Clippers lick their wounds and try to figure out game two. But I don't the the the, the Clippers don't follow logic. No, yeah. you're right. <laughs> Look, they they finally won a home game, so I, you know that was the weirdest series, isn't it? I mean, I, have you ever covered anything seen, like that? I, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, the Jazz had the best record in the league this year. This isn't last year's Jazz. They're no. a little bit deeper. They yeah. are the first team well, in NBA history that's that scoring 50 points per game from the three-point line. This is a different animal than we're used to. This is not going to be an easy series. Jazz, yeah, I know that was the Grizzlies and, you know, people forget about it. But the Jazz in the uh, the last three games of that series, were mm. they were getting they were getting back to there. So we'll see what happens with Conley. Before we go um, – I hate to keep Trey Young till last. Uh, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen, and I mean, again, we're still early in the second round, but I don't know if I've ever seen a playoff rookie ascend like Trey Young has ascending, um, who's blowing us away with his play. Um, I covered the 76ers in the last round. This is a team that won 10 of 12 going down the stretch. This is a team that, yes, they they um, you know they lost a game to Washington in the last round because Embiid got hurt and they were a little off kilter, but they came back with a terrific game plan. Uh, their whole their arena is full. It's a it's a rocking situation. Embiid comes out with <laughs> Triple H. You know, I wouldn't necessarily call it Willis Reedian. You know. With uh, with yeah. the knee injury, I can't believe how well he played, but the place is going freaking crazy. 
Yep. And you know, Embiid comes out with the Triple H to to bang the 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 bell, the Liberty Bell replica. Yeah, it was a little crotch shot too. You know, there was yeah, they did the more than just the bang it well. He was a little yeah. bit uncomfortable watching that, but I'll just let that go. He's done that. That's his like move. That's a Triple right. H thing, and Joel does that when he's laying on the ground. Yeah. Like you know, goosebump, <laughs> goosebump, yeah. and stuff. Totally. And Trey comes out and slaps them right across the face. No. I mean, what am I supposed? I mean, this is like, look, if Kawhi does it, we're like, well, look, Kawhi's got this big resume. We know he can do. It. Like, this is. Yeah, I mean, Trey has done special stuff before. But, Kirk, we weren't expecting this. We just, I keep saying this, we weren't expecting this. His no. overachieving has been amazing. It, and we, we, it's part of, the, I think that, you know, we didn't have fans so long. I think he, he really plays off of the energy. We saw it in Madison yeah. Square Garden. And, like, if there's one place that's even more intense than Madison Square Garden, it might be Philadelphia with their fans. Uh, and he loves that. It's almost like you don't want to rile up your fans when he comes to town <laughs> because he fuels. He, he, he's just fueled by it. Uh, and I think he's become, and I say this very respectfully because I'm loving it, he's, he's the number one villain uh, in the NBA now, Like in, in the sense that when you go to a game, this guy wants to make you go home unhappy. And <laughs> he seems to relish in that. Uh, and we've seen it. And, and I think this sort of, the the Joel Embiid entrance was like almost a bad tactic with this in mind, but that might be a stretch. Long story short, you're right on the basketball court. This guy, I think it's the best playoff debut this side of Luca. Maybe even better because they won the series, something Luca hasn't done yet. And these guys will always be intertwined because yep. of their history in that transaction. But yeah, the win against Philly, super impressive. I expected Philly to really have their way with this Atlanta team. Uh, and led by Trey Young, it didn't go down like that. Uh, and they have a one-game series lead. They now have home court advantage, and Trey Young is the main reason why. I mean, it, like, I I have been so impressed with the Hawks, and we were – I was – like, I'll just own this one. Like, I was way wrong on that Knicks series with the Hawks. Like I, I, I looked at that good. The Knicks, the Knicks beat them three times during the year, and the the Sixers. I was like, well, the Sixers just beat them twice. There was a back to back. That not a back to back. I think it was two games in the same week. Right? It was one of those, um, you know, where you play right there yeah, at the end of the season, yeah. and it really was. They weren't good games. Like Philly won. It wasn't even like it, it didn't seem like. Nothing portended that this was going to be a big challenge or a tight series or anything. And they're just absolutely killing it right now. And I think like Trey, uh, he got me, um, there's a sort of uh, like, Kurt, as you said, he's, he's the guy that was traded for Luca. Right. And I just got done covering Luca where I watched and, and, you know, like, again, when you see these guys live, cause we have been on TV for so long, you forget, like I forgot how big Luca was. Like until you see him in person, you're like, "Oh, yeah, he's." A Can I just say something real quick about yeah. that? Yeah. Obviously, I am aware of the size of the Dallas Mavericks roster. Uh huh. I'm aware of it. Okay, I know they have so many guys. But you know, having not been around NBA players in a year, the yeah. Mavericks were staying at the same hotel I was staying. Oh my and god! I, and I was over there when they were boarding the bus. Picturing this now. <laughs> They're freaking huge. So Mavericks. tall. Well, I mean. Seven four Boban, seven three Porzingis, right? But, but okay, I know about that, <laughs> yeah. but it's like you. I mean, you free, like then you see Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba. Yeah, you know, Luca is huge. Yeah. Like it was like I mean that that's a 
that's a, I mean, <laughs> I was <laughs> stopped in my you. tracks. I was like, yeah, oh, all right, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, that's okay. No, it was, it's just, you know, these things that we, we've all missed a lot this last year, right? Cause mm-hmm. you just, you just, when you're not in the arena or you don't see him up close, you forget. Like when I, when you see Luke and you go, God, I just can't believe how much bigger he is than everyone. Like, Oh, I, I see why he's hard for Paul George to guard because he's so big. Like he yeah. can do whatever he wants out there. He's, he's like LeBron kind of big. Right. Um, Trey young, like he's, I, I want to see him live. Like that, that was my takeaway from watching him in these games. It's just like, you know, when you watch Steph Curry and it's like a, he's like this mosquito, like he just goes everywhere. He wants to go so fast. Right. And he gets the ball off so fast. Like, I kind of feel like Trey's even quicker than that. Like that release, the, the just the way he darts all over the court. You know, I, I feel like seeing Trey on TV is fun, but seeing him live must be amazing. Well, I've never met or seen live, seen in person. I've never seen Zion Williamson in the flesh. Huh. Which is a result of the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean that's, you know, but um, which is just very unusual. I mean, yeah, every single star player in the league, I, you know, I don't know if I say I know them, but I've talked to them. Yeah, of course. You know, um, that's our job. And like Zion, I've talked to 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 uh, to Trey. I've interviewed Trey and Luca, but Zion's class, like forward, you know, because he missed his first half of his rookie year. I mean, I, I just we haven't had the chance. So um, they started off with Danny Green, and I like look guarding Luke. You know, guarding a uh, Trey. You know, first off, the way that the plays and they're switching and everything like that, just because you guard him doesn't mean you're going to be on yeah. him and he's going to shoot from 30 feet and all this stuff. But I thought for sure that Ben Simmons would be on him from the start, but he yeah. wasn't. Danny Green was on him and he torched Danny Green. And so uh, the second half of game one, uh, Ben Simmons was on him. Trey got slowed down. The Hawks got slowed down. I feel like the um, the Sixers got some traction in the second half. Embiid looked way better than I thought. Like, I think this was a screaming red flag. I I look at the history of players who have played on torn meniscus, and it's like guys like Andrew Bynum and Brandon Roy, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's playing. But yeah. considering how ca- – I know it's the playoffs, but considering how cautious they are, I can't believe they would let him play if they thought that this was a serious, serious situation. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to think that I think Philly – Got some momentum, but I'll just take us back to where we started this pod before we have to go here. I thought Milwaukee was going to be in decent shape for game two, so don't take what I say uh, to the bank. So, uh, all right, well, it's late. We've got to have our producer, Jackson, put this together and post it by the morning. Thank you to Ramona. Thank you to Kirk. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thanks for staying up uh, late, everybody. And um, we'll talk to you later this week. Uh, Man, thanks for listening to the collection.